If you're looking to sell your private company stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than 4 billion in company approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com slash equity. Hello and welcome to Equity, where we look at the numbers behind the stories. I am Alex Wilhelm, the Editor-in-Chief of Crunchbase News, and today we have Connie Loises. Connie, how are you doing? Well, Alex, how are you doing? Uh, very well. And we also have Kate Clark, who is in. Hello, I'm here. How's it going? Good. <laughs> and uh, this is kind of a fun moment for the show, because this is episode 100. Uh, I can't believe we made it to triple digits after all the Sturm und Drang of this show, but we did. <laughs> And so we decided to do something kind of fun, a little bit celebratory. So we went back into our, our catalog and we went and grabbed the first guest that we had on the show. And we said, will you come back and kind of celebrate with us uh, on this 100th episode? And the reason why I wanted to bring this guest back is because when Equity wasn't really around, didn't have any listeners, they not only came on the show, but they promoted it for us and helped us get our first listeners. So Jason Lemkin, thank you for coming back. It's terrific to be back. It was a lot of fun for number one, so this one will be even more fun. Uh, I, it, there's no Elon Musk this time, so I'm not quite sure it's going to work out that way. All right. Oh, actually, uh, what do you do? Uh, Saster, which is a fund, an event. Uh, we're the lar- We're a lot of things, but we're the largest community in the world for B2B founders and executives. Yes, and yeah. also with the SaaS theme, if you will. With the SaaS theme, yes. Go. We're about sharing to the next generation how to scale faster. You know, I bet that everyone who listens to the show knows about that, so... You know, it's kind of like overlapping circles of obviousness. You know, <laughs> my learning for social is like if someone follows you, they know what it is. And then there's a whole world that looks at some quirky name like Saster and they have they think it's the weirdest thing in the world. Right. So. You did drop a letter in there somewhere. But anyways, yes. let's uh, was all that. let's dive into the breaking news of the day, which yes. is that Lyft publicly filed to go public confidentially. Yes. So yes. They have dropped a S1, didn't show it to us and then told us they'd done that. So. <laughs> Uh, who are we surprised by the timing of this? Um, no, we're not surprised by the timing, and we're not really surprised by the fact that they went public with this confidential filing because it is a you know it's gamesmanship. So everyone's been talking about the fact that Lyft is planning to go public, the fact that uh, Uber is also planning to go public, and I think the question for all of 2018 is who's going to go public first? I think Lyft just said, "Hey, uh, public share investors or shareholders, we're planning to go first. So, you know, I mean, great, good for them. I, I don't know that this was necessarily expected. Yeah. Well, my question is how they managed to file confidentially. So I went back through the SEC, and I, unless I've misread things, you have to have less than 1.07 billion in gross revenue in your last fiscal year. And I thought they had done just about a billion in 2017. So I don't know when their fiscal calendar ends and how they're timing this, but I'm kind of curious if they wanted to go now so they could file confidentially so they're not too big to file confidentially later on. Interesting. But I've gone deeper into my SEC knowledge than I actually know. (laughs) Uh, It's possible, uh, but my guess is, uh, you know, there have been so many IPOs the last year, it's exploded. But in this category, it is a marketing event. Uh, you know, if, if the next Okta goes public, the next great SaaS company, there's only so much PR you're going to get. But this is important. And if Uber is at $10 billion, Alex, how much revenue does it, does it say Lyft has? Uh, so we know the H1 number was about $909 million. Okay. So Uber may be 10 times the size of Lyft is our learning today. Five, right? five. Well, if you take Lyft's H1 times two and then yeah. Uber's last Q times four, it's about five times as big. Right. So you need every marketing benefit you can get. So I, I would say in this case... This is one of the cases where going first really does matter. You get the boost, you get the the PR credential, and going a year later after Uber, no one's going to pay any attention. 
And you want to be the first company out. I mean, you know, for a lot of investors, they're going to want to bet on one rideshare company. So, uh, you know, if, I mean, if I mean, Lyft is out there first, then people might not be waiting for the sort of, you know. But the fear that everyone had for the longest time was whoever goes public first, mm-hmm. the company that doesn't go public can then reduce the price of their rides, buy market share, and run some deficits in the short term because they're not public yet and they can afford it. I don't know if that's true anymore because Uber loses a billion a quarter. Lyft lost $373 million in H1, which is a higher percentage of revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's pretty stiff losses all around. You probably can't afford on either side to lose more money as you go along. Yeah, we just talked last week, and I very confidently predicted that Uber would be filing first. Yes. So I was 100%, 100% wrong on that one. I, I didn't want to rub that one in, but we did yeah, We, we did, did do a Decacorn IPO kind of yeah. preview last week, and uh, it hasn't held up well to the no, test of time. Uh, but this is I think it's an important point. Usually when you go IPO, you have to give the market some sense of when you will uh, get those net margins up and be profitable. You don't mm. have to be profitable with IPO, but you have to commit to it often within two to three years. But I'm pretty sure the message of the market is growth growth at all costs mm-hmm. here. And whoever buys these shares is going to be sensitive to the fact it could be a decade minimum until there's any any real earnings. So that is st- I think they'll be able to invest just as aggressively as Diddy and Uber and everyone across the world is. And the investments are insane, right? The investments are often subsidizing the cost of this by a factor of two, mm-hmm. and they're going to keep mm-hmm. doing it. I do wonder, to Alex's point, so we've talked about this in the past. This is something that Bill Gurley had said years ago, that um, the, the public companies couldn't spend as wildly as the privately held companies. So I think you, the Uber now has to watch its spending you know, as it prepares to go public as well. But I do wonder about like Uber and Lyft versus Didi, if Didi can now sort of somehow take advantage of... No. I think Didi's are already in trouble. I mean, just reading the information's coverage of Didi in the last couple of months, I'm going to butcher some facts here. Okay. D- directionally here, uh, I think their rides are down on a year-over-year basis. I think Didi oh, is, is had to right? retrench a bit. Um, yes, yeah, so I don't think they're in any danger of going public. And I think Lyft, with the with the lowest raw dollar losses, may be the most uh, palatable to investors. But that puts Uber somewhere in the middle. So I so to the the gamesmanship here I thought I understood, mm-hmm. but now that Lyft has done this and I'm relooking at it, I don't know where how this shakes out. I don't either. Because what if Lyft goes public right right after there's another correction? We've had these weird micro corrections in the stock market mm-hmm. that have rattled sure. everyone, and then they bounce back. But right. Like maybe one of them won't, and Lyft. We don't know when. I we'll mean, go that's the exactly. thing. It might not end up going public. So I think the thing thinking is that it's going to take the SEC what like a month or so to take a look at this. So presumably it'll go out in the first quarter. But if the markets are anything like they are, you know, this week, maybe it doesn't go public after all. Yeah, but then what does it do? I mean, these companies have have locked up so much equity and debt. I mean, they know this is a st- iconic brand, mm-hmm. and people are the retail will buy these shares. It'll go public, and well, whether the valuation is twenty percent less than they hope, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. And also, you know, I think everyone's saying, well, what's the stronger company? But, I mean, in many ways, you could argue that Lyft is the better investment. I mean, Uber is going to be so richly priced when it goes out, presumably, even if, if it's anywhere close to what bankers are talking about reportedly, which is a $120 billion valuation, which is like basically 20 or, you know, two times uh, where it was last um, priced privately. You know, if you've got a $15 billion company, I mean, I saw today some report that said it could potentially come out at like $30 million, but I mean, excuse me, $30 billion, But even there, you sort of feel like you've got more, you know. Upside to ride. That Alex like is shaking a, your head. Why do you? Sorry, sorry. Uh, it feels like a 2014 price you're putting on a 2018 company. I feel like people are a little <laughs> bit are a little bit more sober now. I think the the hangover has come at least a little bit, and people want to see stronger companies do well. I mean, if I've been tracking the the cloud and SaaS, you're, market. Tra- you're talking about Ubers. Yeah, yeah. Or, 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 or both. I mean, the, okay. the 120 billion dollar number, the 30 billion dollar number. I mean, these are are two x valuations 
on valuations that are already predicated on growth. Mm -hmm. So if you've already priced in the growth, how mm -hmm. much more growth can you price in when the company's more mature and going public when it has to be more cost controlled? Your point about Bill Gurley's point. Well, yeah, it's a good point. And so and Uber at least is sort of diversifying a little bit. You know, it's got its non-ride hailing revenue streams. Lyft hasn't really developed those yet, has it? Am I wrong? They don't have sort of like- Not a, as much as Uber. Yeah. I mean, Uber, Uber Eats' business is like a huge moneymaker for them. It's crazy. Well, a huge gross- uh, like a gross top line. Yeah, yeah. The top, top line is, is the top is, is the almost top as big as Lyft. Yes. Yeah, you know, step since we're on equity though, stepping back, mm -hmm. an interesting for me going into the like the eleventh year of the bull run. Does that sound about right? Sounds yeah. about right. Uh, can you make money going to Bill Gurley? Can we make money on number two? Right, Lyft. Lyft was felt as it before the Kalanick issues. The the common view was it was an after an mm -hmm. afterthought, mm -hmm. right? And whatever Lyft price is at, what's the low? What's our theoretical low end of pricing? How many billions is Lyft going to be worth? Nine. Nine billion. Okay, so if I got in at say six pre, uh, six million pre, this is still a good investment in number two, right? Sure. <laughs> and and um, this changes a lot of my thinking. When I was a CEO, we're eleven years in, and the number twos and the number threes in the market are actually turning out to be pretty darn good equity investments. Mm -hmm. And common sense in the past was, look, power laws and all that, you can't make any money unless it's number one. Mm -hmm. uh, but people are going to do fine on Lyft, aren't they? Wherever it comes out. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I mean, I definitely think there was a story in the information that said it hadn't really benefited that much from Uber's missteps. But it, I think that it has. I think it's got something like yeah, maybe 30% market share. and. You know, I mean, Uber's got the rest, but that's substantial. Yeah, substantial. And um, it's, you know, it's also sort of, I mean, it's got a great reputation. The, it's a beloved brand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe it sort of lets Uber, you know, break its pick by trying to, you know, spread out across the world too quickly. And, and meanwhile, it's you know doing a better job of catering to its customers here in the U.S. and Canada. I don't really know. But uh, it's definitely got, you know. There's reason to sort of, I think, believe in the brand. I, I think the one last point that we really should move on to to uh, the next bit. But like, I was Uber shamed yesterday for taking Uber by a friend of mine who's very woke. Oh, is like, that oh, right? You still taking I, Uber? I've, oh, really? been, still I've been shamed too. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I have been shamed too, and I used to be very loyal to Lyft for because of Travis Kalanick, and then he, you know, since he was replaced, I've since transitioned back to Uber. <laughs> it's and okay. Dara's the good guy. But yeah. you know, another thing we haven't talked about is just what happens. Like, there is a window for these companies. Yeah. Um. You know, we are ostensibly transitioning to autonomous cars. So it's interesting to think, you know, and these cars have to make that leap. Um, I don't know how far away that is. But so right now we're talking about Lyft versus Uber, but eventually it's going to be Lyft versus GM's Cruise and Waymo. And so that's sort of interesting, too. I mean, so really, this is inning three in baseball, which there's like eight. Eight innings in baseball. How many yes. innings? Do they have? Eight? <laughs> no, nine. Nine guys. Yeah. Okay. Okay. My generation didn't play baseball. <laughs> this is the question you have asked. What inning are we in? To our esteemed guests of the uh, of the ride sharing wars. How many more touchdowns? Bottom of the third, the middle of the fourth. How second many inning stretch. I actually, I actually there are watched. four bases and yeah. nine innings and yeah. a three throw. I watch a lot of sports. That was really embarrassing. Everyone, don't forget this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. Um, okay, we're going to move on to to acquisitions, uh, keeping our companies in mind, which is Uber and Lyft. And the the recent scuttlebutt around the, the technology world is that they may go shopping for one of these scooterish companies. And uh, we, we we had mostly left scooters behind for a bit because they stopped raising money and releasing ride numbers, and they were just kind of growing in the background. Uh, but maybe they've grown enough that uh, they're not acquisition targets for two of the biggest uh, companies in tech. I don't know. It's uh, definitely top of mind for everybody um, who follows this sort of transportation space. So what happened was on Friday, the information uh, reported that Uber has held talks recently with 
uh, the electric scooter rental startup Bird, um, to acquire the company in what they had said was a multi-billion dollar deal. But Uber, uh, the report noted, has also been considering um, acquiring Lyft. I'm sorry, excuse me, Lime, in which it already owns a stake. It was part of a funding round back in, I believe, June. So what's interesting is, based on my conversations with people, this is still sort of, I, I'm, I'm starting to think that Uber has been talking to both companies. Um, I mean, sort of simultaneously. I don't really know what's going to happen here. And and then sort of, you know, an additional wrinkle on this was a, a fellow journalist, uh, Josh Frulinger of a data news outlet called Thinknum, brought to my attention today that Uber had listed 10 jobs with the term scooter uh, back in October. And as of yesterday, there were 43 such jobs. So <laughs> Uber looks to have a plan C, or maybe that's the plan A, and it's, you know, sucking out of information out of these conversations it's having with Bird and Lime. It is sort of, you know, very fascinating. Well, I mean, talk about the number two being a good investment as well. I mean, like if either one of these companies exits, I don't actually know which one's bigger right now, but if they're both on it's the table. It's a little table, murky. Yeah, yeah, I think it seems like they're very neck and neck. I, well, first I of all, you're always talking to both. Like right. you've, I've been acquired twice as a founder. You're always talking to Everybody, both. So the yeah. fact that it's a, sh- I mean, SoftBank threatened Uber during mm-hmm. the investment saying we're talking with Uber and Lyft. Of course, of sure. course, Uber right. shopping every deal that's available on the planet. Right. Um, so, but it, 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 it the, the pace of change here, it's, 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 it's exhilarating and exhausting. Yeah. It is absolutely well, but right. So they all these companies want to become sort of like mobility companies. They want different options yeah. for their drivers. You don't want to get stuck in gridlock. You want to have a, an electric bike or uh, a scooter uh, at your disposal. So what's interesting? I had talked to some sources yesterday, and it seemed very much like these talks were like very live. And, and a number that I'd heard um, rumored, and I sort of wrote this kind of like insidery piece for TechCrunch saying, you know, we heard this number was two billion, which is basically what Bird was valued at at its last. Um, Funding round. Yeah. Jason, you think there's no way that the the uh, investors would? Uh, sell, I don't think that. I just think it's odd. Oh, okay, it's okay. odd to raise money at two billion and a few months later sell at two billion. Uh, it either seems low, uh, or maybe the space is under more pressure than we think. I'm a super fan. I spent mm-hmm. a week in San Diego just riding birds and limes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm not a consumer guy. There's mm-hmm. no one on a. I, I didn't get it until then. I love the. I love this space and things. But if you're flat in M&A, that's a sign that maybe the category is under pressure, um, which doesn't make intuitive sense to me. But mm-hmm. I can't imagine any other reason the last round investors would sell for 1x. Well, one thing that um, you and I had talked about, again, offline earlier, was the fact that if it's if it were, if there were an offer in equity and Uber's shares do double in price, as yes. some people are expecting slash hoping, then that price is could make sense. much richer than it looks uh, yeah. right now. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure from investors on Bird and Lime to talk to Uber. And I think from my reporting on it, which Bird and Lime are both like, we're building independent companies, right, like right, we right, are right. not selling. Of course, I think, that has to be right, the line. Yeah, yeah. No, of yeah. course. But I, I, think, um, I think, yeah, there's pressure from investors because like, what's the exit opportunity? And if these companies do get too big, it's going to be harder to be acquired. But I think also it's like, you know, what what kind of I mean, are they going to have a scooter IPO? Like, I mean, of course, they can build these huge mobility platforms, which is, of course, the goal. But I, I get the feeling that these founders, Travis and um, I'm not sure the founders of Lime, but I think that they have ambitions of building these massive companies and maybe they don't want to sell yet. But now, hold I on just a minute. Will. We're on equity. You think birds how old? Two years old? Mm-hmm. You think the investors are pressuring them to sell yeah. because because uh, their funds are their ten year fund lifetimes are over? I think that they are pressuring them right. not to sell necessarily, but to talk to Uber to continue these M and A talks and like really. I think uh, I think we'll I see. believe you, yeah, but yeah. I I don't know after two years. Ever the thing in today in twenty eighteen, every investor is a genius. 
<laughs> Every investor has crazy markups on paper. Everyone's decacorn hunting. You've got David Sachs, who one of my favorite founders, CEO at the same time as me. He's one of the biggest investors in in Bird. He doesn't want to sell for two billion. He wants twenty billion. No, right? yeah, two hundred two two trillion. I definitely don't think right? we're going to see flat M and A on these. I think they'll sell for more than their valuations. And yeah, I, yeah but, I mean. but it's like the whole you brought up the SoftBank and Uber and Lyft. So you know, SoftBank famously said, you know, Uber better take our money because if they don't we're going to invest in Lyft so Lime and um, Bird now are facing basically the same conundrum I mean if Uber gets behind one and that the other it's, scary. it's yeah it's very scary I, it's been, that's been tried on mm-hmm. me as a founder and I mm-hmm. tell you you always react it's, it's frightening yeah Right. It's always a little overstated, but it's still scary. Yeah. I mean, the question then becomes, if Uber picks up one of the other two, does then Lyft grab the other one? Does that drive immediate scarcity in the market? And the answer, if that's yes, it'll be expensive because they'll know that they're going to be a hot ticket to as a competitive wedge against the other company. Um, how, how, how much mental space do these four companies take up in technology today? It's impressive to me. Like, I feel like scooters and ride sharing still... Are are like daily topics around definitely the whatever the proverbial water cooler here is. But I think I think you're right. People are still just getting how awesome scooters are, and these companies are now figuring out more how to handle winter markets. There's a lot of maturity needed in the space. But I think I think they're very fun. But I think there's still a lot of questions about scooter use. Like Jason, you were saying you you tooled around San Diego and Santa Monica. But like, would you ride a scooter around the congested streets of San Francisco or New York? Well, I would die. Yeah, well, yeah. So that thing. that one's out I mean, for me. But a week in Pacific though. Beach in San Diego with my kombucha <laughs> sure. in my hand Absolutely. and my lime was right. pretty good living, Connie. I <laughs> yeah, must tell you, it's pretty a leisure a leisure yeah. activity, but it doesn't yeah. seem like a real form of commuting. But if you ask some of their investors, like I've talked with a lot of birds investors, and they are so pro scootering as a form of all transportation. And I definitely have not caught on well, to that. Well, because VCs always look so cool in general. When you put them on a scooter, they don't lose any cool points. You know, The rest of us have some sort of reputations to uphold it territorially. I don't know about VCs looking so cool. That was, sarca- oh, that was sarcasm. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. Maybe that was too dry. I was yeah. I was trying to make a burn. I mean, Jason, of course, yeah. is Jason looks fantastic. Cool. He's wearing a three-piece suit today. It's fantastic. It is. It is. Nice. The, be- the vests are hard to come by. Yeah. And the buttons yeah. are all, they have his logo on them. It's great. Yeah. Saster, Saster vest. Um, okay. We're going to so we'll talk about that again if it happens. If it doesn't happen, we'll talk about when they raise again because it's been a few months. So I presume okay. there's a round coming. But putting a pen in that, uh, I want to talk about Utah a little bit, which is not a topic that comes up. Silicon Slopes. Silicon Slopes. Silicon Slopes. Um, yeah. All right, we'll start there. I think it's an earned title now. I think a lot of scenes wanted to have their Silicon X, Silicon Roundabout, Silicon Streets, whatever. It. it is earned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I th- and what really hit me today was I was covering around uh, for a company called Weave, which does customer experience management for like, two verticals, like uh, optometry and dentists. Yep. And they, they started off as a dentist's office CRM. Mm-hmm. I met the founders. They were great. And then as many great startups do, you evolve, right? You grow a bigger market. Yeah. And they just raised $37.5 million today. And that's equivalent to how much they'd raised total before. So oh, yes. a pretty aggressive fundraise. They said- well, it was 2018. Well, yeah, like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it, it's yeah. available. But like <laughs> they uh, they grew 55% in uh, 17. They're going to grow 100% this year. Wow. And the reason why it's caught my eye is it's a series C or whatever, but like it's another company in Utah that's raising money and showing fast growth. And the podium raised 60 million earlier this year is going to hit 60 million ARR this year, maybe 100 next year, they told me. We have Weave doing well, Pluralsight's IPO from the Utah scene. We had uh, the amazing exit of Qualtrics to SAP, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Eight billion. Eight billion. Eight billion cash. dollars, yes. And then also we had the Domo IPO, which made it out to its credit. Yes. So, how, how is that? Doing. Remember, we talked so much about how, whether that would fare. It's doing well. okay. Is it it's, doing it's okay? It's kind of flat. Okay. No one really cares. It's small. It's a Jason, six hundred million dollar company. So. Did you have any thoughts about Domo or any of Josh James? Was um, I think. I mean, Josh is a very aggressive, mm-hmm. charismatic, driven founder, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, I think 
you know, Domo will probably be one that for three or four years no one really talks about, and it will earn its way back okay. to three or four hundred million in revenue, and then we'll turn around and we'll fire up our Google or Yahoo Finance, and we'll see it's worth three billion. Um, but they'll have to earn it back. Okay. Uh, he took advantage of being an early. You know, he had one of the first unicorns in B two B ever. He sold mm-hmm. Amateur to Adobe mm-hmm. when there weren't no unicorns. And he went all in. He's like, I'm building a 10 or $20 billion company next time or bust. And he raised every nickel, mm-hmm. spent every nickel. And, it, <laughs> you know, the jury's out whether, like, the, the ultra high burn in B2B works. But he got out and he built a company the way he knew how. And yeah. uh, I think it'll take another four years. But he is an iconic fixture in the Silicon Slopes as well, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. as is Ryan Smith and, and Aaron Ryan from Smith Pluralsight. Qualtrics. Qualtrics yep. and Aaron and Aaron from Pluralsight. Uh, they're kind of the... That some of the iconic folks. And it is, it's an amazing community. Um, and uh, we can talk about whatever, but what I've learned uh, working a little bit with Utah founders is one, a benefit it has is it's very supportive. So uh, they, they all help each other out mm-hmm. and they train each other. Like, how do you build B2B folks in a secondary market? And I don't mean to insult anyone that Utah is secondary, but it is not the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. But there is a neat ecosystem. And some of it came out of Inside Sales, which was an early SaaS unicorn that kind of plateaued. And those veterans seeded all these other companies and all the leadership. And Inside Sales, maybe the technology didn't evolve, but those leaders went on to all these other companies. And you have a whole other generation of directors and VPs that have powered these podiums and others. Um, and they had a unicorn that dispersed, and that did help a lot. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing that happen again. It happens again. A bunch again. of IPOs. I'm hearing about mm-hmm. talent crisis mm-hmm. down there. We're yeah. trying to fight for individual people. Who's going to leave? Who's going to start a new thing? They're going to reinvest in the community. And it's going to do well. Yes. So it's, it's fun to see a, a, a secondary scene, to use your word earlier, which is not a diss because it's not tertiary anymore. Yes. Uh, have a number of big exits, self-sustaining, and you know that when the the eleven year bull cycle collapses, it's not going to disappear like the Chicago texting after two thousand. Like I was told it did. This yes. is going to persist. This is a real thing now. I love to see what happens with the Smith brothers going forward. So Ryan Smith and I'm sorry, what is his brother's name? I forget, but I'm making the money gift. Yeah, the money gift. Well, that's, that was the point, right? They're they're they've you know, been made so wealthy from this deal to SAP. So I'm just curious, and they're young. They're like you know. 40s, early 40s ish. So I'm just curious to see if they end up becoming these sort of very prolific investors or if they turn around and start something else in a couple of years when they are unshackled from. Well, what they should do is is come on equity. I think you can get Ryan. My guess, uh, just knowing Ryan a little bit, but Mm -hmm. being one of my very favorite founders, like someone I look up to, and I have no data, but my guess is given their goals and backgrounds, they will do some things on impact and philanthropy that everyone else talks about and doesn't do. They've already done a lot on cancer and other things. Have they? But when the family has $3 billion, yeah. $4 billion, mm-hmm. and it's held in a family trust. I don't know how that works. I don't need to know. Mm-hmm. But I'm <laughs> guessing they have to make some joint decisions. Sure. And they already have enough money. They did a secondary, and they already took nine figures out of this company. And if you live a simple life and you, you don't need a yacht, how much right. do you need? I think – uh, philanthropy is something that's not that is very interesting and related to exits, and it hasn't happened much, has it? There's not a lot of philanthropy out there. I bet they do something interesting. I don't know what it is, I hope you're right. um, but I bet it's not a lot of lip service. That's yeah. my guess. I I hope you're right on that prediction. The Domo one, I'm fifty fifty about, but I like that one because that's going to help other people. I think it will. Yeah. The one other interesting thing on just on Utah for what it's worth that mm-hmm. I've learned with the companies I work with, I invested in a company called Automile that's got about fifty folks in Utah now. And I've watched all, let's not call them secondary markets. Let's call them next generation markets. Yeah, let's come up go. with a new, a new term to say. <laughs> Interesting. And, and I just met with Kyle Porter, a great founder of Salesloft, one of the top Atlanta startups. They're all tapped out, these markets. 
Like tapped out in, in terms of no, they're all zero percent frictional unemployment. There's no one left. Everyone's okay. gone to Atlanta. Yeah. Utah is loaded up. So a couple years ago, you could go to all these markets. Everyone was going to Chicago. Atlanta was huge. Salesforce <laughs> has a trillion people in Utah. Indianapolis, Utah, and you would go there not just because it's cheaper. Cheaper is great, but actually, where can you find anybody? I mean, you can't find anybody in the Bay Area, right? And when you do find them, they leave in four months. Sure. So it's not like they're even there. Right. Uh, but all of these other markets have 0% unemployment, too. So it's interesting. It's happened in Europe, too. Dublin, there are 0% unemployment. Is that right? Wow. wow. Yeah. I wonder if we could just track which, scene, which uh, city has the hottest tech scene that's coming up by how fast the unemployment rate's dropping for certain fields. And you can kind of just see when they're going to hit zero and therefore become the not next Go somewhere place. else. Yeah, exactly. Go somewhere else. Like Go it, to Bismarck. It, it was Austin, then it was Denver, then it was yeah. Boulder or whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, okay, we're gonna do a hard right pivot. Well, not oh. really hard right. I was gonna say we were talking about how you know joblessness, um, but so you know the market has gone crazy today, and not um, accidentally. I mean, well, it's been it's been terrible all week, but um, <laughs> driven mostly. Kate, do you want to tell us what this next story is about? Yeah. So um, just yesterday, the chief financial officer of Huawei was arrested in uh, Canada um, upon suspicion that she violated U.S. trade trade sanctions with um, against Iran. So this is Meng Wanzhou, Wanzhou. She's the daughter of the company's founder, which makes it a little bit, yeah, <laughs> a little, little bit, adds a little bit of intrigue to yeah. the story. Um, so yeah, she has facing, facing unspecified charges in the Eastern District of New York. And um, I spoke with the company yesterday and they basically said that they have no information. They don't know what her charges are. And they say that she's done absolutely nothing wrong. So... Well, no, I was just going to say, so this is a disaster. <laughs> I mean, uh, you <laughs> to know, put for, it lightly. For, right, right. For U.S.-China relations, we had sort of thought over the weekend that maybe, you know, Donald Trump had struck some sort of, you know, indefinite deal uh, that he was crowing about. Of course, there was never anything on paper to begin with. But the market was like taking a deep <laughs> sigh. Things started yeah. to come back. Um, you know, hopefully this, you know, we're putting off any more, you know, further tariffs. Well, we've just basically undone any kind of like goodwill that we had fostered, I think. Totally. This uh, really slammed the markets. And uh, I mean, uh, the Huawei competitor, um, ZTE, was down 6% today, midday. And several other Chinese stocks were crashing because of so the is news. So is the point here that this is indicative of a non-trade detente? This is indicative of a continued trade strife? And it's viewed as a provocative act by the U.S. government to try to detain this person? Or do we think this is relatively okay in international policing? That's I'm not sure if it's like well, punitive or just normal. I, I don't know either. I mean, the problem is, so Kate just mentioned ZTE. So ZTE had gotten in trouble for sort of similarly kind of, you know, navigating around U.S. sanctions, I think. or uh, Aggressively. Aggressive. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Aggressively. Sorry, Aggressively, sorry. Yeah. So, so there, these are, you know, it's another telecom equipment company. Well, so we caught ZTE and it was let off with a fine and it was sort of, we had sort of said, uh, you get this seven-year suspended sentence on the condition that you change your ways and you fire some people. ZTE broke that deal, and then the U.S. Um, hit back by restricting some components. But ultimately, all we made ZTE do was pay this fine. So, you know, there was this columnist in um, Bloomberg today that said basically it looks like, you know, the U.S. rule of law is for sale. So the question, I think, here is what do we want from this situation that we've just sort of delved into you know are we going to find them are we going to sort of mm -hmm. are we going to like structure something differently i mean i think it's it's a, a very big deal 
Yeah. And in any case, it's it's got the map markets rattled. They were already sort of, you know, very shaky. There's, you know, as Jason was saying, we're 11 years into a bull run. It sort of feels like it might not take that much. One thing that I did re- that I thought was super interesting was it feels very much like there's a recession that's around the corner. But you usually can't see recessions coming. So maybe there's not. You know, the worst recessions are sometimes things that you don't necessarily see and you, you know, you know did, what I mean? Did you say you feel like there is a recession around the corner? I feel that there is. I mean, okay. just because history, right? <laughs> like, we, how much longer can we kind of, you know? No, just stay on Huawei. But yeah, I will yeah. say, when it for 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 cloud folks that Alex mm-hmm. and I, it's interesting when you listen to what Mark Benioff said after earnings for everyone. They all say the same thing. Even Bill McDermott from SAP buying Qualtrics AP Lane. Mm-hmm. They've never seen as strong a buying environment for software as today. Mm-hmm. So software is not the world, and enterprise software especially is not the world. But um, in that little world, there is no no recessions coming. There is no hmm. there is no not going to be any recession for B two B software. There may be a bump. The the so the amount of money from CIO's office that is flown in, that flows into the cloud. Look mm-hmm. at AWS is it's just it's just mm-hmm. your jaw drops. Mm-hmm. So maybe there will be certain consumer recessions, but in the cloud, it's unstoppable. Aren't they uh, interrelated though? I mean, isn't it all sort of interrelated? We're going to spend point? a trillion and a half to two trillion on just on corporate IT each year. Mm-hmm. And if more and more of that goes to the cloud, even if it shrinks 10 percent, if what's happened in the last five years is an extra hundred billion at least has gone to cloud, to cloud applications. That's so much. That's mm-hmm. why we see this inflection with Workday and Salesforce and Okta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless that ratio, cha- unless everyone says, you know what, I want to have my entire IT staff um, uh, monitoring on-prem software, the cloud's right. going to keep going. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, for equity, that's going to continue to fuel these cloud investments and mm-hmm. cloud companies. Yeah. Um, and when you hear Mark Benioff, he's been doing this, what, 19 years, saying, I've never seen a better environment. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a localized recession in cloud. Well, th- um, this mirrors what I heard from the CEO of Zora on a post earnings call recently, and also uh, the CEO of Okta, we just talked to, I think, yesterday or the day before. They are, they are so hyped about enterprise software, recurring revenue models, and all this, and it's gonna, they think it's going to keep going forever. Here's my counterpoint. Yes. If everyone thinks something is true, that scares me. And it sounds like there is unanimity on the enterprise side that this is a great time and a great period. Pride cometh, maybe. I think what, but, but what happened for old timers like Teen from Zora and mm-hmm. folks who've been in this cloud, no one realized that so much of this trillion and a half of the CIO's budget was going to go to the cloud. Everyone got this mm-hmm. wrong, Every, including Mark Benioff, including everybody. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why Bill McDermott has to buy Qualtrics for $8 billion, because everyone got it wrong, <laughs> right. right? Mark Hurd from Oracle, you know, Larry Ellison used to make fun of the cloud. What did he say? Like last week, we're 100% all in on cloud. So that late. trend, they are right about that. <laughs> but, right? but they're customers. So like, you, you know, you said, not everything's enterprise software, but it, everybody is buying enterprise software. Estee Lauder, I mean, all these Everyone's consumer companies that could yes. be impacted by a recession. They could, so yeah. they could say, well, maybe we don't need to spend quite so much on, I mean, or maybe maybe, maybe they'll run in the opposite direction and say yes. we need to do more, you know, because we have, need fewer people. I really well, don't Connie, know. Well, Connie, we're in equity. If there's a recession, what do you want to do? Should we just, should we, should we just quit? <laughs> what, what should we do? No, I, we're I, all long-term thinkers on this podcast. <laughs> we're thinking in decades. Keep in right? mind how awesome this show would be in a bear market. It would be would it like, be? it would be a funeral dirge without music. It would be the saddest show in the world. People would come on and just say things like, it may get better, we'll see. Like, all This entire show has been in the late summer of this boom. And everyone yeah. who's come on, has, to your point, has been has felt like a genius. Everyone's come on Everyone with high paper markets. Yeah. No actual liquidity, right, right, but right. happy LPs on paper side. And, and I, I, I am fascinated and curious to see what it will feel like uh, going back to the 100 episode point. I mean, what's the next 100 going to be like? Are we going to end the next 100 in a room talking about $8 billion exits, Utah blowing up, and the only uh, you know great cloud here is the Huawei problem. 
and the trade issues. Maybe maybe that's not enough to, to knock us into recession, but uh, it still feels strong today, and I just, I've just i been scared for years, and I've been wrong for years, so we'll see. Anyways, we've been going on and on and on and on and on, so we're going to kill off this episode. Thank you, everyone, for coming in. Jason, thank you again for dropping back for the Thanks second Thanks for having time. me back. It's terrific. And uh, we'll see you in 100 episodes, and we'll see everyone else back in seven days. Stay cool. All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and a big thank you to Connie Loizos, our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week. <laughs>